welcome to Myth in the Mojave, 30 minutes of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Svela. Wherever you may be in this wide, beautiful, crazy, crazy world of ours, you are part of this story circle. Today I want to tell you a Buddhist Jataka tale called the Ganjamala Jataka. These Jataka tales are a central part of Buddhist teaching. They're tales about the Buddha's past lives and are meant to encourage the rest of us. (laughs) Because what you discover through these tales is that the Buddha took many, many lifetimes to become the Buddha. And along the way, he encountered many of the same challenges and obstacles as the rest of us. But now my use of the story is a little bit unorthodox, as is the way that I came to it and the question that I posed this story. So before I tell it, let me tell you that story, the story of the story. I recently did a program for the Opus Mythological Roundtable Group and and ended up telling the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale the emperor's new clothes to the group that gathered. We found a great deal to work with in this story. It's a very potent story for this particular cultural moment. And I'm not going to tell it to you, but in brief, it's about an emperor who's obsessed with his wardrobe. He gets duped by two swindlers who claim to be weavers of extraordinary cloth, a cloth that is not only beautiful, but also has a magical power. The cloth and the clothing made from it are invisible to any person who is unfit for their job or a fool. Now the swindlers loop everyone into this deception because no one wants to admit that he or she can't see the cloth. The emperor and his ministers, all the officials and adults in the city are afraid to be revealed as fools. Only a child speaks the truth. The emperor has nothing on. Okay, now this story is full of interesting paradoxes, but the group that gathered was particularly interested in this child, in the child as truth teller. And as I thought about this afterward, I I realized that a big question wove its way through the evening. Specifically, how can we each tell the truth as we see it? How do we do this? What's required? Well, I was thinking about that question when I sat down to make this program. And as I often do, I posed the question to all of my books full of stories and the book Endless Path by Rafe Martin of Jataka Tales came to my attention. When I opened the book, I opened it to the opening page of the story that I'm going to tell you. So when I read it, I did find some answers to this question. How can we each tell the truth as we see it? And so I invite you to hold that in mind as you listen to the story. And as always, attend to the details that speak to you to find your place in this story right now. The Ganjamala Jataka. A long time ago, back when kings still ruled the holy city of Benares, there was a rich merchant. 
and his wealth was tremendous, and his heart was also vast and charitable. Although he was a very rich man, he set aside six days a month for his family and his employees, everybody involved with his estate, to fast and meditate. Six days a month to fast and meditate on the five fundamental precepts. Not killing, not stealing, not misusing sex, not lying, not using intoxicants. Now at this time, the Bodhisattva, that is the Buddha, was born into a very poor family. And when he grew up, he became a common laborer, working for laborers' wages. And one day he learned about this rich man and thought, well, life is hard enough, works hard enough, I might as well work for somebody who has a good heart. So he went to the rich man's estate and applied for a job and was given one. And he was very happy to be there, so he settled in and he gave the job his all. He made it a habit to rise very early and to work late. One day there was a religious festival in the city, and after breakfast the rich man decided that they should have a special fast day. And he announced to his family and all of the workers that they should not work, that they should fast and meditate. But the Bodhisattva had gotten up really early in the morning and already gone out to work, and so he missed this announcement. He also missed breakfast. And he worked all day out under the hot sun. And finally, near sunset, came back to the main house, went into the kitchen to get something to eat and drink, and discovered that the kitchen was empty. The whole place was empty because everybody was meditating. And finally, he found the cook and discovered that the day had been set aside as a holy day, and he had missed it. He decided to go to the merchant and ask if it was too late to join into the fast, and the merchant said if he started right away that he could still serve the fast for half a day. So the Bodhisattva went to his hut, crossed his legs, sat down in silence, and began his meditation. But as the night wore on, his hunger and his thirst became really unbearable. In fact, the other workers could hear him groaning in agony. And they finally summoned the merchant who examined him and said, Okay, dear man, you've done enough. You're going to have to drink a little water and at least eat a little bit of rice. You've got to stop your meditation and get some rest. But the Bodhisattva refused to stop because he had taken a vow to do the meditation. By sunrise the following day, he was drifting in and out of consciousness, and it was clear that he was going to die. The people carried him outside into the morning light, and the birds were singing in the trees, and the Bodhisattva opened his eyes, and he saw a rich nobleman coming along the road in a gilded chariot drawn by white horses. And he suddenly had a desire to live like that, 
to know that kind of splendor and comfort. And with that final thought in his mind, he died and entered the great ocean of birth and death. Well, this thought of the possibility of that kind of life carried him along like a raft, and his wish was fulfilled. He was conceived in the womb of the queen, and ten months later, reborn as prince. They named him Prince Udea. As Prince Udea grew older, once a month or so, he simply refused to eat. Nothing would convince him to take food during that time. The physicians examined him and told his parents that it didn't seem to be doing him any harm, so he was allowed to have these fast days. And as he grew up, he, he began to remember his past life as a poor laborer. And he remembered that the virtue of participating in that half-day fast had brought him this boon of the next life as a prince. When his father died, he became king. And even as he was king, he never forgot this secret of his good fortune. And he had a little song of joy that he sang privately to remind himself of that connection. Now, one day there was a festival in the city, and everybody was looking forward to it. And there was a poor water carrier, a very strong man, who lived near the city's south gate with a pretty woman. And he thought to himself, well, I've been working really hard, and so has my woman. I think we should take the day off and enjoy the festival. And when he told his woman this, she said, I agree. I'm with you. Let's gather up our cash, and go and have a good time. Perfect, he said. Now, I have a half penny hidden behind a brick near the north gate, not more than two miles from here. What about you? And she said, well, I have a half penny too, and mine is buried right here in the earth underneath our bed. So why don't you go get your money, and I'll dig up mine, and then we'll have enough to celebrate. And they were both very excited because with a full penny between them, they were going to be able to buy garlands of flowers, food, sweets, and even some strong drink. The water carrier gave her a kiss and set off to fetch his half penny, whistling and singing along as he went. King Udiah was standing on his shaded balcony humming his little song of joy, and he noticed that Even though it was still early morning, the day was blazingly hot, and a hot wind was blowing. The sand below on the roads must be hot as coals, he thought, and he noticed that merchants who were gathering in the marketplace were wiping their brows, and everybody was sweating, and already the flowers were wilting just a little bit, and then he notices this poor water carrier, strong as an elephant, just striding along, singing happily in bare feet across this like burning hot sand, seemingly oblivious to the blaze and the heat. Wow, who is that, thought the king, and why is he so happy? What's his secret? And so he sent a servant down to get the water carrier and bring him up to the king. 
But the water carrier said, well, what's the king to me? I don't know the king. Let me go. I've, I've got important things to do. And he kept on walking. Then soldiers were sent after him, and they brought him to the king by force. And the king asked him, the earth is hot. It's like burning coals. Everybody's suffering from the heat, except apparently you. You're walking along quite happily without any sign of distress. Doesn't the sun burn you? Oh, the sun burns me, said the water carrier, but so what? My desires are hotter, and there's only one thing that I need to do to fulfill them. What's that? asked the king. Well, O king, I live by the south gate with a pretty woman, and we're poor, but today we're going to enjoy ourselves to the full. So I'm on my way to get some treasure that I hid by the north gate. And as I walk along, I sing and I think about the day and the night ahead, and that's all I need. That is what is delighting you so, so much that you don't even feel the the hot wind or the blazing sun, asked the king. That's right, said the water carrier. Well, this treasure that you speak of must be very great. Is it 100,000 pieces? Oh, no, great king. 50,000? Oh, no, not that either. 20,000? And the king continued with his questioning, down, 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 until he got all the way down to a penny. And still the water carrier said, no, not that much. Are you kidding me, said the king? For a half a penny, you're walking all these miles in the burning heat? That's right, great king, and with that half penny of mine, and the one that my woman has at home, we're going to amuse ourselves into the night. Well, the king was astonished. Look here, he said, I can give you a half penny. I mean, I can give you a whole penny. Why, I'll even give you two or three pennies, because I have enjoyed our little chat. Your honesty and your integrity and frugality touch me. Believe me, even though I'm a king, I also know the value of a half penny. So here, take my pennies and go home and enjoy yourself with my blessing. Thank you, great king, I will, but I'm still going to go and get my half penny too. Well, then the king offered him a gold coin. And again, the man insisted, well, I'd be happy to take it, but I'm still going to go and get my half penny. And the king offered him more and more and more and more, and still the water carrier said, that's great, fantastic, thank you, I'll take it, and I'm going to go get my half penny. Finally, the king started offering him positions in the kingdom. And he still got the same answer. And then the king said, Why don't you rule the city of Benares jointly with me? I'll give you half my realm. And this the water carrier accepted, taking the northern half so that his half penny stayed hidden where he'd put it. The man was then crowned King Halfpenny. And so now we had King Udea, the poor laborer in a previous life who won his kingdom by meditation and keeping to a fast, and King Halfpenny, who had won his by his integrity too. And the two of them ruled together very well. They conferred on all major decisions, and the realm was blessed with harmony and peace. One day, 
King Udea and King Halfpenny were out walking in their gardens. The day was warm, and King Udaya stretched himself out on some cushions to take a nap. King Halfpenny watched him sleep and suddenly had the thought that if he killed King Udaya, the whole kingdom would be his. And he drew his sword. And then he caught himself standing over the king and hastily put his sword away. And then he had the thought again of what it would be like to be the only king and once again drew his sword. And then the third time this happened, he threw the sword down on the ground in horror and shook King Udea into wakefulness. Forgive me, great king, he said. Well, friend, you've done me no wrong, said King Udea. Oh, I have, great king, said King Halfpenny. I wished your death so that I could rule alone. I even drew my sword to slay you. Oh, I forgive you, said King Udea. Don't worry. If you want to be the only king, I'll give up my throne and you can, you can have the whole thing. No problem. Oh, no, 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 said King Halfpenny. Why do I need a kingdom? See, I see now that that kind of desire will only lead me to rebirth in a miserable state. It's better that I be free of desire altogether. The whole kingdom actually now is going to be yours. I renounce it totally. I have seen the never-to-be-satisfied root of desire in my own heart, and now I tear it out by the root. I will be free. And then in ecstasy, he shaved his beard, cut his hair, put on rough clothes, and announced to all the people in the kingdom that he was leaving and went off to the Himalayas where he meditated and attained complete realization. When he left, King Udaya watched. And as his friend's figure dwindled off into the distance, he uttered this verse. He said, Little desire brought me the fruit, great the glory I acquired. No desire is better yet. Be resolute and gain the prize. His wife, the queen, overheard him saying this, and she was puzzled and asked him what it meant. But the king put her off and said, well, it's not anything really. And so, of course, her curiosity grew. Now, King Udaya had a barber named Ganjamala. And every now and again, Ganjamala would hear the king singing his little verse about little desire and how it had brought him gain, and, and he wondered about it too. So when the queen came to Ganjamala and said, I want you to find out the meaning of that verse, he was willing to do so. And when she said, I will reward you if you do, he very much wanted to do so, but there was a little problem. Ganjamala told the queen, you know, the king and I are not on such good terms. When I shave him, I use the razor, and he likes the shave. But then I pull the fine hairs out with a tweezer, and he hates that. Sometimes I think he wants to tear my head off. Ganjamala, said the queen, let me make a little suggestion. Do the tweezing first, and then shave. 
the next time. That's what Ganjamala did. And the king loved it. Well, you finally got a system that works, he exclaimed. The shave made me forget all about the tweezing. That's very good, Ganjamala. So now I will offer you a boon. Ask me for whatever you want. And Ganjamala cleared his throat and said, "Uh, Sire, all I want to know is the meaning of that little verse you recite. Your face lights up every time you repeat it. What does it mean? Oh, Ganjamala said the king, ask me for something else. Ask for anything. Gold, jewels, horses, anything you want, but not that. Make a different request. Sire, said Ganjamala, really, that's all I want. And King Udea was not a man to break his word. Integrity was, after all, how he had become king. So, with a sigh, he said, okay, I gave my word, so I'll keep it. Here's what it means. And he told Ganjamala the story of his past life, about how he had fasted and meditated, about how he had been a laborer in this previous life and then had been reborn as a prince. Wow, thought Ganjamala, that's the way to freedom? And as it turns out, his moment had come and the time was ripe for him to take in this insight. Suddenly, there was a light in his mind, and he realized that freedom was possible, even for somebody like him. Sire, he said, I thank you. Now I, too, will release the world from my grasp. I am no longer a barber. Be at peace, great king. For today, I am going to leave like King Halfpenny and set out on the high road to the Himalayas and to freedom. And then and there... Ganjamala set down his towels and his razor and his tweezers, bowed to the king, and set off for the mountains. The king watched him, wiping the soap from his neck. And as he watched him go, he thought to himself, Now see, there's a man of resolve, another man of resolve. I got my prize, it's true. But should I linger here? He hesitated. And then he thought, Well... It's not yet time for me to go. I like this life. So for right now, I'm going to remain a king and I will fulfill my my duties with virtue. Five years went by. And then one day a courtier came running to the king. Sire, sire, he panted. Come, come quick. Come to the palace gardens. Come and see. And the king rose from his throne and the queen and the queen mother and a crowd of curious nobles followed him. And they went out into the garden, and what did they see? There was a man flying through the air and descending into the garden. It was Ganjamala. The king recognized him right away. And clearly, this ex-barber had won his way to perfect freedom and was now a self-realized Buddha. Immediately, the king put his palms together and bowed to his former barber. And Ganjamala addressed the king using his family name. Brahmadatta, he asked, how is your reign proceeding? Are you doing works of charity? The queen mother was there, and she saw this familiarity between her son, the king, and this lowly barber. And she was outraged. What's this, she thought. He's this low-born, descended from a line of barbers. 
and he is addressing my noble, highly descended son as if they're equals. And she said, wait a minute. I don't like this at all. And many of the other nobles that were gathered there joined in. Right, right, right. The queen mother is telling the truth. I mean, even though Ganjamala can fly, he's still just a low-born barber. But the king hushed them all and said, wait a minute. This is the way that it is. Realization trumps birth. It's virtue that makes worth, not station. Look at his dignity and peace. He's beyond all social classes. So stop embarrassing yourself and embarrassing me. And he asked Ganjamala to forgive them, which the Buddha graciously did. And then the king asked Ganjamala if he would stay and teach. But Ganjamala, as a self-realized Buddha, was a Prachika Buddha, which means that he had moved on to Nirvana without teaching others. And so he wouldn't stay. He said to the crowd, gain freedom for yourselves. And then he flew away to the snowy Himalayan peaks. The king turned to the group that had gathered. And he said, I won my exalted station as your king by making a minor effort on the road towards wisdom. I meditated and I kept a fast even though it killed me. And in that past life, I was only a poor laborer. I was only a poor laborer. So never doubt the benefit that such exertions bring. Now I said that I found a few things in this story that answered the question that I posed to it. How can we each tell the truth as we see it? So let me, let me tell you in brief what I heard in that story. First, the importance of practice. Practice is important for meditation. Practice is important for anything that we're attempting that has to do with virtue and character. How can we tell the truth as we see it? By practicing, by, by doing that every time it's required. There's no need to wait for the big moment of high stakes to tell your truth. Don't dismiss the smaller, easier opportunities. Take every single one. Practice. A second thing I heard in this story is, has to do with this half penny. What a great image for your own realizations, for what you achieve on your own, your own experience. Accept the gifts of others. But hold on to your own half penny, your own experience. And then the realization that we don't really know what role we play in the lives of others or who we've been in the past. We don't really know, therefore, then the outcome of what we do. We can see from the conflict that half penny had with himself that if we are seduced by the prospect of having the whole kingdom, if we have too great a stake in the outward trappings of power and status and money, we can lose ourselves. But if we can keep perspective on that, if we can keep perspective on what's really 
valuable. If we can remember our true desires, then we can see through all of that and achieve detachment. And the detachment that we're after is detachment about outcome. It's the willingness to do what needs to be done without knowing for sure if it will be a quote-unquote success. Realizing that we don't know who we're impacting, who might be learning from us for better or for worse. If we have that detachment and we're open to outcome, then what others think of us is kind of beside the point. If others think you're a fool, well, so be it. And as Eleanor Roosevelt said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Speak your truth. Now is a time for all of us to stand up and call it as we see it, folks. That's it for me, Catherine Savela and Myth in the Mojave for this week. Feel free to contact me if you have questions or comments about today's program. And if you find something of value in Myth in the Mojave, I encourage you to join the Myth in the Mojave community on Bandcamp. For only $5 a month, you have unlimited access to all of the programs, everything that I am creating right now, everything that's archived. And your financial support is important to making future programs possible. Happy New Year, and thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next time. And until then, happy myth-making, and keep the mystery in your life alive. Mm-hmm.